Welcome back to another episode of the Worthy Pieces podcast. I am your host, Rhonda Davis, and today I have a very fun episode planned. I have invited and have the pleasure of interviewing one of my fellow therapists, Cassandra. Um, She's an ACMHC, and she's worked in my office, oh my gosh, a little over a year now. And she's badass, and I just love her. And we are just going to talk all the things therapy. Um, so Cass, welcome. Thank you for doing this Thank on a you. Friday morning. Thanks. Um, okay. Cass, I just want to give like a brief introduction. So I, you are a therapist. You've been a therapist while well, you graduated just over a year ago. Um, but I primarily want to spend today's episode talking about like why you love therapy, what you specialize in. Um, specifically DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy, and then the personality disorders that we see and that you kind of specialize in. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Um, I, well, I got into therapy. I was interested in it since high school, actually. And I just, I liked the idea that we can, we have the ability to change our brains and rewire things so that we can have a happier, healthier, better functioning life. So it, I kind of went down a different path for a while and got a degree in business and accounting and, um, but the love of psychology and helping people came back to me. And so went back to school for counseling and graduated from Texas A&M. And it's just been my dream. It's been perfect for me. And it's, it's definitely a hard, exhausting job. And I love it. I, I know that I cannot change the world, but I love that other people can change pieces of their world to make it a better place for them. And so that's why I do what I do, because I like the idea to help people change what their individual worlds can look like. So um, when I was going to A&M, the school there had a couple of professors that um, wrote a lot of books on DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. So I got some extra training in it and I really enjoyed it. I didn't think it was going to become something I really focused on. I thought I would use it here and there as I did my internship and started professionally it has become one of my go-to methods of therapy and it's very effective for certain personality disorders. And I really like seeing that change and how I do like the structure of it, of some of the therapy techniques that we use because it's kind of this if then process. So it it allows people to have um, a good plan for how they use their techniques. Is that, is that a good little, did yeah. I tell you about me a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I think the most interesting thing that I love about you is you, I mean, I've gotten lucky enough to work with you for over a year and you are an incredible therapist and even more of an incredible person. But the most interesting thing, I think going from business to therapy, um, like we talk all the time in therapy, right. As far as like healing trauma or healing people, and we encourage them to think emotionally minded. So it's impressive that someone went from like business and logic and solution focused to completely emotional and you do it so, so well and with so much ease. So like, is, was there anything that happened that made you switch or did you just really know you wanted to help people in that passion? 
Well, I did, like I said, I wanted to do this. I knew since high school, I took a, a psychology class, loved it. And when I started going to school after high school, I took another psychology class on a college level and it was taught totally differently and I loved it. So seeing that there were two different ways to approach it, one was more applicable, how our behaviors function in the world and what we can do to change our behaviors to help us feel better. And then the college course was more science-based and brain structure. And I loved both aspects of that. And so it was very fascinating. At the time, I was not interested in pursuing a master's degree. And so I just set that aside and thought, okay, this isn't for me. And I do love numbers and I love puzzles. And to me, that's what accounting is like. And I wanted something that is kind of um, stable, secure as far as a profession. And so I went the accounting route. And to me, it wasn't a, a, a big leap in a way because accounting and business is a, it's really a puzzle. It's trying to be creative. It's trying to figure things out financially. And yes, I switched to a more the emotion side of it. And it's also a puzzle. So, you know, numbers are a puzzle. The human brain is a more complex puzzle. And it's interesting that you talk about like the, that kind of business structure analytics, and then going more the emotion side, because I find it interesting because one of the concepts that we use in DBT is really recognizing that we all have this rational side to us and we have an emotional side to us. And sometimes each of those pieces can get out of balance, that sometimes we're living more in this rational, logical world, or sometimes we're living too much in the emotional world. But when we can combine the two and look at both aspects, we're really in this happy middle ground. It's, you know, within DBT, they call it wise mind. And it, I never really thought about that, though, that my background, plus where I'm at now is this culmination of those two halves of me, of this logic and reason and the emotion, and I'm able to use it in a happy medium way now that I have a little bit of both going on. And maybe that's why I like the structure of DBT, because it, it incorporates both sides. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I totally think it keeps you like better balanced, right? Right. Rather than just being completely emotionally minded. Yeah, it's, man, I never thought about that one. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I picked that up. Like even when I did your interview, I'm like, man, this girl <laughs> is like well-rounded. She's got business and she has the therapy site. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, so before we go into interventions, let's talk like we, so I mentioned personality disorders, explain mm -hmm. to people who are listening, what's, what's a personality disorder. So personality disorders are more ingrained, I guess you could say they're, they're more long-term patterns of behavior and experiences, and they end up being a a lot of times they're very rigid and unhealthy patterns of thinking of how we function, of how we behave. So it's, yeah, I, I think long-term would be a good way to describe where some of those behaviors and functionings lie. And it's in an unhealthy, unbalanced manner. 
And like long-term meaning that people have dealt with this longer term or people are going to deal with it longer term, meaning like continuous therapy, continuous resources. Okay. Yes, both. Um, A lot of times we start seeing signs of this in adolescence. Personality disorders typically aren't diagnosed until a person is an adult, but we start seeing some of those behaviors show up in adolescence. And with personality disorders, yes, a lot of times we see this continuing throughout their life where, because it becomes a way of thinking for them that is so rigid and um, such such an ingrained pattern that we recognize that, okay, this is how your brain is going to work. What can we do with the world that we have now? So some of these personality disorders, it becomes a way to manage the way your brain happens to function because this is how your brain is functioning. So it, it with some disorders that like anxiety and depression, we can feel better and we can see those symptoms come and go a lot with personality disorders. It's, it's pretty much like this acceptance that my brain is going to function like this long-term. And so how can I manage some of the behaviors? How can I manage some of the symptoms? You may not, so to speak, heal from it or make it go away completely, it can be manageable and, and the behaviors or the, um, the impairments can be minimized. Yeah, which and maybe we should back up a little bit and explain because there's different types of diff personality disorders, right? So there's also like not just one there fits are. all, different clusters. So some of those examples would be like borderline personality disorder, uh, narcissistic personality, avoidant personality, um, antisocial personality, schizotypical personality there's what a total of 15 I think don't quote me on that but I, I think there's around like 12 <laughs> or 15 I mean when you look at it from the DSM but yeah those are I mean when we talk personality disorders like you can fit into different kind of categories or types as mm-hmm. the DSM refers it right cluster a b and c right um and so yeah I think that even makes it more complex too dealing with long-term effects and people who really struggle with different symptoms because us as therapists if you lay them out they all look, well, most of them all look very different, right? Like mm-hmm. you have a, like OCD personality disorder compared to like narcissism, very different traits, very different symptoms, very different signs. Very, yes. Um. Oh, go ahead. Go oh, ahead I was, I, yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> okay, so personality disorders, what makes them stand out differently than maybe some of the other diagnoses in the DSM? Or maybe they're not even DSM, but like what makes them different just overall with mental health? There are, from my experience, when I hear other therapists talk about personality disorders, they're challenging. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very challenging to work with people with personality disorders because of the patterns that are there, because of the way that the, the thinking and behaviors and how they function. It, it becomes very challenging because we can use these skill sets and it's, it's a lot of back and forth ups and downs still. It's not this linear progression that you see with some other disorders. Yeah. Well, and they're not talked about as much, like maybe narcissism, maybe OCD, 
somewhat maybe of um, like schizotypical, but I think for the most part too, a lot of people don't understand like how many personality disorders there can be. And because it's not talked yes. about, it's simplified as anxiety and depression. Like sometimes I know mm-hmm. that when sometimes with my clients, when I bring it up and I give that diagnosis, people have no idea that this even existed. Very true. And there are certain personality disorders that have become a way to describe certain behaviors in our society that may not be necessarily a diagnosable personality disorder, such as like OCD and narcissism, where we may see tendencies of this, but to actually have like a legitimate diagnosis, there's a lot more criteria there. And so that makes a difference in how the functioning is, as far as what criteria are are actually being presented. Yeah. So it's, there's a big difference between tendencies and an actual diagnosable disorder. Yeah. Which I know, like I can speak from my experience. I know that when I diagnose or when I'm assessing to diagnose someone with a personality disorder, it's something I take a long time to assess and look at and rule out like where the symptoms lie and what's really appropriate. And I know like I've had clients before cause we're a trauma office, right? And so I've had clients come in before especially with borderline to where like their doctors or previous therapists diagnose them very, very quickly. And most of the time I see it is like trauma related, but I can't, like, I have a handful of clients I could think of right now that they've gotten misdiagnosed with borderline personality because it's more trauma symptoms. So Mm -hmm. like, personally, I feel like in my, in my therapeutic interventions, like I take a longer time to diagnose because if there are, they wouldn't you say like they are more complex, they're not as easy maybe to spot out the red flags, they're not as easy maybe to talk about also. And so if you're going to give these diagnoses, I think that us as professionals also need to be very informed and confident with the diagnosis before we just place this upon someone. Absolutely. And with most personality disorders, I would like to see, I I want to watch patterns for a while. Yeah. And the client can self-report a lot of these patterns of behavior to see if it's in line with that. It is a difficult conversation to have with a client. I, I end up, I've honestly, like I will pull out the criteria and have a conversation with them and see if they, where they think they're at on it too, because it's, it's, it can be difficult for a person to hear that they may have a personality disorder. So it's a very, um, it's a topic I approach with a lot of compassion and um, try to be try to be a little gentle with it. But once they, because part of dealing with some of these disorders is this acceptance. If we don't accept that this is a thing in our lives, then how are we going to manage it? So that's a lot of why I bring the client in into, into that conversation when I believe it's time to really diagnose. And you're absolutely right. That's why I'm talking like tendencies versus diagnoses, because we can see that trauma can trauma symptoms can look like a lot of different things. And, and the other thing that I like to pay attention to is a lot of these symptoms with trauma can look very similar and we can treat, you know, we can go through processing the trauma side of things at the same time. Like when I see symptoms that or behaviors that look like borderline, even if it is a trauma response, the skills can be used in the same way. Like the right, diagnosis yeah. in that kind of a situation is it, I mean, it's great to have a diagnosis so that we know where to go at the same time. 
hey, if we're seeing these patterns of behavior, whether it's trauma or borderline, like, cool, we have, we have tools, we have interventions to use that work for that behavior, whether or not the diagnosis is trauma or borderline. Yeah. Okay. So tell me more about that. So those that are listening, what is borderline? Cause I know that's kind of like a taboo diagnosis also. And a lot of people I think are misinformed of what borderline is. Yes. Yes, they are. Um, a lot of times people will say, oh, they're so bipolar because bipolar is typically a word that we use for mood swings. So I hear that a lot and have to have these conversations a lot about the difference between a bipolar disorder versus borderline. Bipolar, you're going to see longer mood swings where you might be in a depressive state for two, four weeks, you know, several weeks at a time. And then it'll switch over to a high energy manic phase anywhere from like four to seven days. So you're seeing these mood swings happen over the course of weeks or days. Borderline will have mood swings also. And those mood swings look very different. They will be more (laughs) daily, Um, hourly, I've had people say, oh, it's like minute to minute. We're having mood swings where somebody may be like, um, throwing something across the room. And then two minutes later saying like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I don't, you know, I don't know what you're talking about because I feel great now. So it, that's a big difference between the two is, is we're going to see a different type of mood swing, um, with borderline So you're going to see a lot of emotional instability or dysregulation and there, so there'll be like that intense sadness or irritability, um, maybe a lot of anxiety. It could be even happiness in there, but the, the ups and downs are a lot, a lot there. Sometimes you'll see you, you want me to go through borderline, right? Yeah. (laughs) Keep going with borderline. Yeah, you do you. Okay. So, um, another, I know you're passionate about this also. So I know like once (laughs) I get you started, this is where I just know you're going to go and I love it. So yeah. Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've learned a lot about it. Um, and, and I do, I like it and I'll tell you why in a little bit. Um, we do see a lot of impulsive behavior with borderline and that can look like, um, maybe some excessive spending, sex habits, substance abuse, um, reckless driving, binge eating, um, lots of impulsive behaviors in that way. And the, and the thing to look at with some of these things with impulsivity or with a lot of things is, is it self self damaging? Is it destructive? Does it impair where is it causing a problem somewhere in your life? So that's, that's part of a lot of these criteria. Um, they will have frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. So this might look like lots of accusing that you're, that somebody's cheating on them or, oh, you don't love me. You don't want to be my friend kind of a thing. Um, you and might I feel like see... that's the biggest red flag, right? Like when you talk to someone about it, usually within like relationships of any time someone feels like even in friendships, not really maybe intimate relationships, but it can be friendships. It can be family members that that's what I see like is a big red flag for people that when they feel threatened of abandonment or they feel like someone is detaching from them, it sends them almost into like a crisis mode. Absolutely. It does. There, they, there's some very, very black and white thinking 
that people are all in or all out. So when they see people around them where they start feeling insecure, um, they may think that that person is now all out, even if they had a minor um, disagreement, that they may perceive that as, oh, they're done with me. They're going to leave me. I don't have this friend anymore. And because of that black and white thinking um, in relationships like that, we'll see borderline people cut others out of their life because of that fear of abandonment that it's like, Hey, if I, if I cut you out of my life first, then it hurts less than that. That and it's usually that like drastic, cut me out. Right. For them Very. to get cut off. It's like slamming that door and walking away. Oh yeah. It's not this gentle conversation. You might see somebody just, um, over a two word text block you on every, everything, every phone number, social media, everything, and not talk to you ever again. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that makes sense to them because they're, they, they, a lot of times perceive that as, oh, I'm, I'm setting a boundary. However, in, again, with personality disorders, it's rigid, it's unhealthy behaviors. We're again, looking for that. What is that happy medium? Can we communicate to find a happy medium? Because realistically, we don't all live in this black and white world. So when we, when our brains have this urge to go there, it, it can create problems with relationships. And like, because of that pattern of instability, you'll notice that interpersonal relationships are very, a very big factor in diagnosing. And you'll see extremes of idealization and devaluation within friendships, relationships, whatever, meaning when you're around somebody with borderline, you may feel like the most loved person and the most hated person. That that's how you believe you're being treated is like some days you feel like you're on top of the world. They love you more than anything. And two hours later, they, you may, it may seem like they hate you. And that's hard. Being around borderline is a roller coaster for sure. Yeah. Well, and sometimes Tons I feel like for downs. like the the people around the one who struggles with borderline, right? Is they typical real oh my gosh, the people around them usually feel really exhausted because it's that like pull oh, push mentality, the love you, I hate you. And it's very confusing for yeah. loved ones of of BPD. Um yeah, and and there's other behaviors in there that are also confusing. Like one of one of the characteristics is that sometimes people will have this identity um, issues with identity or identity disturbance, and that may mean that they their even their self image or their sense of self is um, unstable. And what that can look like is sometimes we'll see people that will change the way they dress or their appearance frequently, like they're not grounded in themselves. Sometimes that looks like um, drastically changing hair color, or hairstyle frequently. And this is, I get it that like, sometimes that's just an expression of our personality. It's just, these are some of the ways it can show up. Um, it doesn't mean that if somebody changes their hair color all the time, that doesn't mean that they have borderline. It just yeah. means that this is one of the ways that it can, can show up. I say that because I change my hair color a lot. Yeah. And, but for me, that's just fun. But for some people, it's because they don't feel settled in themselves. Sometimes we'll even see people change their personality in a way where like they talk differently around different groups of people. You may even see 
or hear their, their voice change drastically. And it can get to the point where it almost looks like an entirely different personality. Um, I have heard of people with borderline getting misdiagnosed with dissociative, dissociative identity disorder or like split personalities because of this, because the identity disturbance can be so extreme that it looks like a completely different personality. So again, one of those characteristics that's like confusing and it might be confusing to be around. Yeah. Um, Or, or have, right. Like as a person who's maybe for sure and hasn't been diagnosed, like, I think that's where so many of our clients come in and they're like, I feel crazy. I feel like there's two versions of me. I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm not myself and they can recognize that, but they have nothing to link it back to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of want to come back to this like black and white thinking that we see a lot. Um, When we have that, that type of thinking, it can lead to a lot of recurrent suicidal thoughts, behaviors, self-harming behaviors. Um, So this is one of the characteristics of borderline is we'll see people become suicidal frequently. That it's, it's, if things aren't going well, they immediately jump to this hopeless feeling that again we're trying to find that happy medium of helping people recognize that it it's okay when things don't go well that we can feel uncomfortable we don't need to jump all the way to hopelessness to have this sensation of everything's pointless i i need to just give up yeah so and and that never gets easier it's very difficult and i you know, my heart goes out to them that they have these thoughts pop up a lot. This is one of the reasons why I actually, um, because of the extremity of how their way of thinking is, I have so much respect for this population um, because what they are dealing with is so difficult. These are the fighters. These are the people that have a hard time a lot of days and they choose to live they are saying i i feel this way i feel hopeless i choose to live i choose to keep going i choose to keep fighting and that's why i like working with this population because they are so strong it's yeah. very difficult and but it's so beautiful when they start using their skills and they can manage yeah. um the impulsive behavior when they can manage the urges when they can recognize oh here's my funky brain acting up again. Yeah. What, what is the thought process that I need to shift here? What can I physically do to calm myself down that they can accept like, okay, my brain's just a little funky. Sometimes here's yeah. what I can do. And so success progress to me when working with borderline, um, I, I expect that there's going to be a crash every time, you know, I, I don't expect that people are going to get to the point where they never have a suicidal thought again. I expect that these things will pop up. And I think that that's a big difference with a lot of other disorders or how therapists treat people is like, we kind of like people come in and they're like, fix me. I want to be healed. I want this to go away. But part of what we teach with the skills is this idea that we accept the reality of things it's called radical acceptance when you can body mind soul heart fully accept where where things are and that this may be where my brain is functioning and i can be okay with that 
Like yeah. this is that's the the whole concept of dialectics of there's opposing forces. So DBT stands for dialectical behavioral therapy, which is dialectics are opposing forces. Kind of this, um, I I love you, and I'm really mad at you. Like those those two things don't always coincide. Or um, th- I mean, this world is crazy and uncomfortable, and I can be happy in it even though there's wars and chaos and disease and, and I can be happy. You know, it seems like when I tell this story of like how scary the world is, maybe that, that turns into a feeling of hopelessness, but dialectics teach that both of these things can exist at the same time. Right. The scary and the happy. And that, again, we're coming back to that middle ground. Um, And so that's, to me, that's where the progress lies is, how often I can get, I can see people with borderline living more in this happy middle ground. And what I've seen is people managing the urges and symptoms. And so they're, when they do crash, they can regulate their emotions within hours or sometimes within minutes where when I first start seeing a client, sometimes they're in this dark spot for months. Yeah. And so that's the big difference. That is the progress that when the dark, dark days come, they don't last for months. Sometimes they last for minutes, hours, maybe a day or two. Um, I think at the most, like with people really, really using their skills so far, I've seen like somebody that will maybe be in this darkness for four days, but they, they're, they learn how to pull themselves out of it. And so they're not stuck in it for months and months at a time. Um, I've also seen the time period in between those crashes lengthen where instead of this up and down where I'm, I'm crashing into this suicidal thought, you know, every, every week I start seeing that where it's like, oh my gosh, it's been four months since you've been suicidal. That's great. Yeah. You know, that's the success with borderline is seeing how they can regulate on their own. And it's so cool. Yeah. And I think going back to the radical acceptance. Yeah. No. And I think part of the radical acceptance also is knowing like what you said earlier is that like, it's not a lot of the symptoms of borderline are not really ever going to go away. It's just learning how to manage them and learning how to accept like that cycle Mm -hmm. and the rockiness of going back and forth between, yeah, you're going to have really, really good days. And that time is going to lengthen, but then knowing that you will probably have a crash and that's normal and that's okay. But learning how to manage Mm -hmm. it better is so much better of a success. Yeah. And that really that key to acceptance. Oh, it is life-changing. It's part of the reason why I like DBT concepts is because they are, um, they align with Buddhism philosophies, um, which is a lot of acceptance, a lot of like being in the present moment. And one of the concepts within Buddhism, one of their, their base concepts is life involves suffering. And so many of our disappointments and frustrations come from these expectations that we have of ourselves, of others, of the world, of how things should be, that we shouldn't ever feel pain. Realistically, that's part of the human experience. So I love that line of life is suffering or life involves suffering, because then when we recognize that this is expected, that there will be pain, it actually like decreases the suffering of the pain. Like the difficult things are going to happen, 
no matter what, that's part of the human experience. And when we can accept that, like, oh yeah, I knew this was coming. I didn't know it was going to look like a flat tire on the freeway Tuesday afternoon, but I knew stuff happens. And when you, when you get used to uncertainty and that knowing uncertainty exists, you can get comfortable with it because known is comfortable. And so when we just familiarize ourselves with uncertainty and get comfortable with discomfort, the discomfort actually decreases a lot. It's such a weird thing. It works though. It's crazy. It works. So, and, and I've seen people do that where they're able to just be in the present moment and recognize like, Hey, the pain comes, but that's also going to leave soon too. And, oh my gosh, this joy is so great that I know the joy is, is going to leave soon too. So let me soak all of that up. So it increases joy and happiness and decreases pain and suffering. And it's, it's a really magical concept that acceptance of, Hey, this is what life looks like. Let's work with what we got. Yeah. And it's, I think it's more rewarding, right? Other than some people that, and we've all been there, right? When you, when you have your down days or when you have the, like those catastrophes happen, like you sometimes get stuck, but it's more relieving. It's more empowering. I think when you can just accept it and know that like, yeah, this is part of life. This is part of my roller coaster. But it's, I think that it gives people hope and it gives people kind of that light at the end of the tunnel to look forward to. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I, right now I say a lot of like approaching things with curiosity because when things happen, like you said, the, the catastrophes do come and go that it just like, if you can sit back and approach it with curiosity of like, okay, what is this going to, what is this experience going to be like? What can I learn from it? It, it does change the experience of it. Yeah. I have a, I have a really cool story that goes along with that, but I don't know if you want to hear a parable. <laughs> You can, we have time for it. Well, here's the concept. Um, I mean, just like what you're talking about, like the catastrophes happen and we just, we just don't know. So it's, it's a Buddhist parable where um, the, there's this farmer and he, a wild horse wanders onto his property and his neighbor says, oh my gosh, that's so cool. You got a free horse. And the farmer says, oh, well, you know, who knows what is good or what is bad. And um, then the next day, the horse broke the fence and got out and they had to fix the fence. And the, and the neighbor's like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. And the farmer says, who knows what is good or what is bad. And then after that, the horse returned with several more horses. So now they have a whole bunch of horses. And the neighbor says, that's rad. Like you have all these horses. And the farmer says, well, who knows what is good or what is bad. And the farmer's son was trying to train one of the horses and he got kicked and broke his arm pretty severely. And the neighbor's like, wow, that's, that sucks. That's really unfortunate. Again, who knows what is good or what is bad. Um, the next day, the army came to their village and was recruiting for a new uh, war that broke out and the son was of age, but they couldn't take the son because his arm was broken. He was injured. And the neighbor says, wow, you really dodged that one. And he says, who knows what is good or what is bad. And the whole point of the story is when things seem really painful or unfortunate in moments, we may recognize that it, it leads to something else or it's, it's okay. Maybe it, it prevented something else. So when we are able to be in the present moment and acknowledge, I have a broken arm instead of defining so many meanings that go with it. 
it helps us be in that present moment and acknowledge that like, Hey, this is part of life. Let's just keep rolling. Who knows? Yeah. I love that. Everything so, happens for that, a reason, right? I say it all the time. Yeah. Either for a reason or who knows, sometimes yeah. things just happen. And with this black and white thinking of some of these personality disorders, especially borderline, we get stuck in defining everything instead of kind of going, just being present, being in the moment, going with that flow, approaching things with curiosity. Because again, black and white thinking, you have all these expectations of what should and shouldn't be. And you can start yeah. letting go of that and find this flow of life. I, occasionally I have clients come in and they're like, oh, I get it now. And I'm like, awesome. You found the flow. Yeah. You're going to sail from here. Like when they start seeing that, like just, just watching things play out and with curiosity and not putting huge expectations or definitions on anything, they find this flow Yeah, and there's peace within it. Like I always say like the there's going to be chaos around us. You can, you can be kind of that eye of the hurricane. You can be this calmness within chaos. Again, dialectics, calm and chaos can coexist. So it's, it's finding that happy middle ground, finding the balance everywhere. So we're, we get out of that black and white thinking. Yeah. So, and DBT is kind of the way to get out of that, right? Like DBT again, is it DBT is acknowledging like the present, acknowledging what's here in this moment it's, I always tell clients, like, especially with DBT, it's not, I always say the forbidden word in therapy is why you don't like understanding why something is here is pointless because it's here and you have to deal with it, whether it's good or bad. And so like DBT is kind of the epitome of just accepting what is in this moment and not necessarily why, but Mm -hmm. what are you going to do in this moment? Are you going to honor? Are you going to welcome it? Are you going to resist it? Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah. There's, there's DBT is a great way to do that. DBT was actually designed for borderline personality disorder. Um, it, the skills are so applicable that you can use it for anything really. Um, but that's what it was originally designed for. And what it really focuses on there's, there's four elements of DBT therapy. Um, it's the mindfulness is this current that runs throughout DBT. So we do focus on helping people learn how to be mindful, how to be present. Um, when we, when we bring in that awareness, that's the first step of being able to manage certain thoughts and behaviors. Um, and it is very emotion focused. We want to be mindful of our emotions. DBT falls under the CBT umbrella. So CBT being cognitive behavioral therapy, um, CBT really focuses on um, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, how intertwined all of those are with DBT. We're still looking at that and we're really putting an emphasis on emotion as well. Um, so step one is really learning, learning how to use mindfulness, how to be present. Um, we focus on emotion regulation. So we get out of these ups and downs and when some of those ups and downs get pretty extreme, we say that that person might be in distress. So we learn distress tolerance skills. Um, and a lot of these emotion regulation and distress tolerance skills, it's kind of this, if then, Hey, I'm, I've been, I'm seeing myself like crying for four hours and I can't get out of it. Okay. Here's a structured skill to use to kind of pull you out of that. 
Um, and the last element of DBT therapy is working on interpersonal effectiveness skills, how we communicate, how we talk to people so that we can get out of that black and white thinking. And, oh, I believe you were rude to me, so I'm going to block you everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we learn skills to live in that happy medium within relationships. So that's yeah. kind of the overview of what DBT focuses on. Yeah. I don't even Which, know if I answered your question. No, you totally did. And I was just going to clarify too, like DBT was originally made for to treat borderline, but like we use it, for example, in the office all the time as trauma prep, because it's such a great resource for, for sure. people just to learn for like basic, basic skills. If people really have trouble. Yeah emotionally regulating if they have problem in crises or even just communicating like we use it all the time not just with borderline all the time all the time and uh, you know coming back to what we were talking about before where sometimes we see a trauma response will look like some of these characteristics of borderline so same type of thing where it's like it doesn't matter what the diagnosis really is we're seeing these behaviors Let's use the skills that are designed to treat emotion dysregulation. When we bring up trauma, that's hard. Like it's going to trigger people. It's going to cause some emotion dysregulation. And we know that. That's why we like people to understand these skills of how do you regulate? When When you are in distress, how do you tolerate that? How do you get out of that? And it's, I love it when people can take our DBT group before they do the trauma work, because it really gives them a good foundation to be grounded, to be able to regulate the emotions because it's going to happen. It's kind of this reality acceptance. You know, if you're going to dig up trauma, if you're going to process through this, it's going to suck. It's going to be hard and you can get through it and you can have the skills and then it feels better. Yeah. And it makes the process so much more doable when we have this skills foundation. I'll work with clients for, gosh, I mean, minimum a month, probably two or three months sometimes to solidify skills before I dig into trauma. I think that, you know, being in a trauma office like that, I think that's what sets us apart too, is like, we're not just going to go in there and put a bandaid on. We're not just going to go in there and jump into trauma recklessly. Even if it seems like you're stable, I'm going to sit with you for like a month and make sure that you're using skills. Yeah. Cause you're gonna, you're gonna get triggered. Yeah. So these, these skills that we've worn with DBT are amazing. They're super effective. Yeah. I wish, and you probably agree with me. Like I wish that we would teach DBT in like high school or college classes or just have it more readily available because it's literally basic skills. Like they're simple skills. It's not hard to learn. And I think if just everyday people outside of therapy, like learn them, then it would reduce a lot of like mental illness overall, just mm-hmm. to help people be emotionally regulated and honor what's going on in these present moments or in these absolutely. situations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of funny. I have a, every once in a while, I have some resistance to the whole mindfulness thing because it's, yeah. it's become like this, huh, gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. I had a client that is like, oh, I'm not going to be one of those, like just tree hugger. Everything is about mindfulness. So I had to use different language for that yeah. person to talk about being in the present moment. But the whole idea totally. is like, it, it's become this kind of cliche and 
um, we have all these definitions and stigma of what mindfulness is, and it doesn't need to be some like, let's light some incense and sit cross-legged on the floor and ohm yeah. all day. Yeah. You know, my favorite my favorite way to get people to start practicing mindfulness is, I mean, we do the, the focusing on our senses, five, four, three, two, one, you know, notice five things you see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. So great way to start that. But one thing that I tell clients to do to start building this habit of getting your brain to be present is every time you go out to the car, like we do this, like most of us go out to the car every day, at least once a day. So in that 10 seconds from door to car, pay attention. You know, what does the ground feel like under my feet? What does the air feel like on my skin? What do I smell today? What is the weather like? Just start describing and labeling things. That's mindfulness. Yeah. Mindfulness can be so many different things. Like yeah. Just being aware. Is and it's simple. Mindful. That's what I tell clients. Like you, so sometimes simple. I get clients that overthink it or like, do you have a workbook that explains this where I'm like, sure, you can go buy one. However, like mindfulness is literally like, close your eyes, take a breath, tell me what you notice. And sometimes I'll tell clients, what like, did that feel I'll like? do it with them. <laughs> yeah. And I will take maybe two minutes, maybe. And so I always joke with clients, like one of my biggest pet peeves is clients will come in and they'll be like, oh my gosh, this and this and this and this happened. Oh my gosh, what do I do? And I'm going to look at them and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What'd you do about it? And clients are like, well, I didn't have time to practice this. And I'm like, well, so like the five minutes that you sat in the waiting room waiting for me, did you sit on your phone on Facebook or TikTok? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, you know what? That could have been five minutes that you practice mindfulness or you practice your breath. Mm -hmm. And people look at me like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's literally that easy. It's two minutes, five minutes. I always tell people mm -hmm. it's not going to yoga class. It's not committing to an hour meditation every day. There's simple, tiny little things you can do throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I want people to practice this when they're calm. We can't yeah. go yeah, yeah, yeah. wake up one day and say, I'm going to go run a marathon without training. So yeah. I want people to practice grounding and mindfulness when they don't need it. Yeah. So that when they do need, they need it, it, their brain automatically goes like, oh, I know what to do here. Yeah. This is where I go. Like, yeah, yeah you're not going to get up one day and just be able to have these skills in, in an emergency. You yeah. have to set it up. You have to create those pathways in the brain first. So that's why I'm like, every time you go to the car, yeah. every night, take 30 seconds, ground yourself, mindfulness, so that your brain gets used to like, okay, this feels good. Yeah. This feels calm. Being consistent. Totally. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah. That's how we rewire the brain. This is why I got into this. You can change your yeah. brain functioning. It's so yeah. cool. I know you and I both love that too. That's why we do trauma. That's a 100% why I wanted to do a trauma office because I wanted to dive even actually change people. So I just know like you and I both share that passion. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when I, I remember interviewing with you and I was like, ah, trauma, can I do this? And then I realized like, oh, I was already, I was already yeah. working from a trauma perspective that I didn't realize I was Yeah. because that's just, I'm, I'm just the type of person that's like, cool, let's put a bandaid on and func you know, figure out how to function, but also where is this coming from? Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, totally. if we don't, if we don't figure that part out, it's going to come back. Yeah. So and we're not going to be happy. I didn't realize. Yeah. I didn't realize I was just naturally doing that when I thought I was just like CBT, whatever, but yeah, just the way my brain works. I'm like, awesome. Next, like what's underneath it. Yeah. 
See why I'm so lucky to have you. You are a natural and I'm so lucky you picked our office. <laughs> Which, okay, I so love that's, it. Like, that's the like next leeway I want to take this is I, so I, I mean, I'm biased because it's my office, but like, I know that our office uh-huh. is pretty cool. It's very holistic. It's very welcoming. I want like from your perspective and maybe from your client's perspective too, like what give an image or give some type of idea of like what therapy walking into our therapy or our therapy office can be like, cause I get so many people that also have never been to therapy or that I encourage maybe friends or family to go to therapy. And I think we still have that like Hollywood image of like us sitting in our chair Mm -hmm. and we're like these old batty ladies that they like clients are really uncomfortable around. And that's not what therapy is. That's totally not what our office is. Absolutely not. And I picked up on that right when I walked in for an interview. Um, because this is what I love. We allow humans to be human. That yeah. we're not stuck to some rigid definition of what of how we talk, what these definitions and interventions look like. We have such a great skill base. And from what I've seen, all of us are really good at meeting people where they're at and not trying to create this pressure of what therapy has to look like. You know, our whole goal here is to heal. And if people aren't, aren't comfortable and can't be themselves, then that's, that's not going to be effective. And so on that note, like it's helpful that we get to be ourselves, that we get to show our human side a little bit as clinicians to be able to say like, you know what? Um, I sit cross-legged in my chair and I, I burn incense a lot because some days, because that's what I like, or like, I have weird, funny decorations in my, (laughs) in my office. I love that you brought that up. (laughs) Well, it's just like, I want people to see that it's okay to be human and we don't have to fit some structure. And I joke because in my office, there's a lot of laughing and there's a lot of crying. Um, We have everything. People get to be themselves, you know, and I try to meet people where they're at. I had a session one time where we just back and forth swore the whole time because that's what was needed that day. It was therapeutic to just let that shit out. So that if we speak their language, we meet them where they're at and no, we are not cliche therapists. Um, you know, I know this is, this is may sound unusual to some clinicians, but I have like some Oracle cards in my office. And the reason I do is because sometimes the session dies out and you're like, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. Cool. Let's pull a card. Every time it starts a conversation about what's going on in the client's life, totally. whether or not you believe in mystical things, yeah, it starts a conversation. Again, I'm meeting the client where they're at. What are you interested in? Cool. Let's go there. Yeah. Conversation starter figures out what's going on in their daily lives. And we go from there. Yeah. It's, and it's you know so what? Fun. Clients love it. I will say that like we get feedback all the time that are like our offices all look differently. We have elephants and feathers and yeah, incense and oracle <laughs> cards. Like we have all the things, crystals, rocks. I mean, there's so, so many different things that I think when people walk into our office, they don't see just like a chair and a table and, you know, a, you know, like a bed or, or a couch that people are waiting for. They feel comfortable. And I, I think 
I would assume because our office, I mean, it's a larger office, but we're all pretty close in the fact, I think clients, even when they're not like our individual clients, they get to see mm-hmm. all of us. Like we, they hear us laughing. They hear us talking. They hear us hiding creepy little things around the office to scare each other. <laughs> like our clients have become part of us. And I know like we, I, I mean, I know our clients love us cause they come back, but we also are so passionate and we love all of our clients. And we have Mm -hmm. so much fun with them. Usually like, obviously therapy is not, you're not coming in to tell me the happiest things in your life, but we have fun with them, even though helping them through their work, you know, worst parts in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's okay that we have bad days. It's okay. Yeah. And I think that that's what they like. And I, I know, um, I know me and you are, can be, um, another thing that I, I get a lot of feedback from clients is that, that sometimes they have gone to therapy where it seems like the therapist will agree with them a lot and comfort them. And that feels good. And that has a place. Um, I know for me personally, I think you're a lot this way too. I mean, we don't actually get to watch each other practice, but, um, I can be a little bit confrontational where yeah, totally. I, like, I can be that person that to comfort you. And then it's going to get to a certain point where I'm like, okay, so what do you want to change? Cause we, we need to do something different yeah. here. And like flat out, I will call people out on their shit. Yeah. And some people, some people it, it's a little jarring at first, but I take some time to build that rapport and make sure that yeah. we're on good terms before I can say like, all right, what's really going on here. Yeah. And um, we're not confrontational about it. I think like we, we can hold people accountable and be very blunt of like, Okay. Like I always Mm -hmm. joke with people. I have a couple clients who I always tell them, and especially one is a male and they always come in and I'll be like, how was your week? And they'll be like, I'm fine. And I always like, I can look at them to be like, cool. So I'm a girl. I know what that word means also. And B like, you're not fine by your body language. So should we try it again? And clients like, I know, like I can have fun with it and hold them accountable. It doesn't have to be like confrontational or aggressive. I, yeah. They, I guess the, the term is gentle confrontation Yeah. when they talk about, yeah. you know, some of the techniques we use, it's gently, um, yeah. I, yeah, like I have one client where one session we were just, we were chit-chatting quite a bit and, um, and I, fi- it finally dawned on me. I'm like, wait a minute, you're avoiding something. So she's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, dang it. You figured me out. And so next session she came in, I let her kind of talk for about five minutes. I'm like, okay, cool. What are we avoiding today? And she just started laughing and, and said, okay, here's the real things. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, body language is a big tell. Um, I love it. You get to know your clients so well, that like almost their energy where you're like, oh, you're not, you don't look happy today. So what are we going to talk about? tone of voice I call I catch people I'm like oh you're using that voice again (laughs) what does that mean what are you hiding you know so it it, we have we do have fun they they laugh at the way at least for me like they they laugh at the way that I'm that I kind of confront those issues gently um I have had people come in and say oh it just feels like I'm sitting with a with a good friend you know your office is so cozy and warm and you know, so it just, it just feels like we're just chilling in the living room, having a chat. Um, and it it is interesting because some people really like to know the structure of what we're doing, because sometimes it does feel like just a conversation. However, our skills are this current that runs through the way that we do therapy. And even when it seems like just a chat, 
there are so many skills that we use as therapists that we, I mean, there's an art to the science. And so it's, I, I trick people into doing therapy when I can make it really comfortable for them. Yeah. And then they're like, wow, I didn't even recognize that that was going on. Occasionally I have a client that, that doesn't understand what's going on because it feels like a conversation. But when I start pointing out, like, here's what I'm doing by the things I'm saying, they're like, oh, interesting. Like they don't even recognize I think a lot of people that that goes back to like that. There's a purpose. Yeah. I think a lot of people have that as like, is there a worksheet? Is there a workbook? I think a lot of people assume that we have like our DSM and all these like worksheets readily available, Mm -hmm. like school to be like, Hey, today's lesson. We're going to talk about this when I don't think in your homework of the day. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. Sometimes when clients come in of like, I need homework. What's my homework where I'm like, practice your skills, emotionally regulate. Like, I'm not going to give you a workbook Mm -hmm. to do this week. Like be attention of what your triggers are and work on them. Yeah. I will yeah. for some, for some people, if I feel like that's appropriate and I won't totally. for some people, but people, some like people treat it like school where it's like a history, oh, like yeah. you, you have a report, you have to report back to, you're going to get graded. And it's totally not like that. I tell clients all the time, especially new intakes, like there isn't like a syllabus that has to be by week 12. This is what we're going to work on. And if you're not there, you're failing the course. Therapy does not work like that at all, because we also don't know what life's going to throw all. at us. And we, I know that t- like I have this, I'm working on things. I have this agenda or this plan with this client and something like a curveball or something gets thrown away to where we totally have to sidetrack and go a different route. And I don't think people realize also like how fluid therapy can be in that regard. So fluid. I love that. I love that word for it. Yeah. It's okay. So if you had to give, if you had to give advice to someone who maybe has never been to therapy and is nervous or scared to start, what would that advice be? (sighs) Approach it with curiosity. I, I mean, I come back to that with so many things in life that we, you don't know what the experience is going to be like till you get there and to be open-minded as to what that could feel like for you. Um, understanding that there's, there's ways that we can shift our thinking and just having those conversations and, and having a clearer view when we start verbalizing it's, it's amazing. It can be very simple and it's, it doesn't need to be a scary thing and it doesn't need to be some definition. And, um, you don't have to come in with like a plan of like, well, I I have to come in with this plan of conversation of where this is going to go. And, you know, I think some people feel pressured when they start therapy of like how, what they're going to have to work on or whatever. Like my, my thing is like, just take that first step see what it feels like, see what's out there. And it's, get a different perspective, you know, and you don't have to be in crisis to go to therapy either. Yeah. We learn these skills there. Like you said, some of the skills we learn are basic life skills on how to live a happier, healthier functioning life. And you don't need to be in crisis. Come to therapy. If you, if you want to tweak things slightly, if you just need a little tune up, get a new perspective, get, get somebody that can sit with you where you're at and figure out what are your skills? You know, Hey, we're finding Rhonda's skills today. We're not finding Sally's skills. So that's what therapy is cool about is like, we can tailor this to fit you that we don't, we don't just come with some rigid book of this is what everybody needs in life. I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to be like, okay, what does Rhonda need? 
I'm not sitting with Sally today. I'm sitting with Rhonda. And so I'm going to, I'm going to help Rhonda find Rhonda's skills. Love it. And it's fluid. I come in yeah. and I say, Hey, if, if this, if I'm throwing tools at you that you're like, this is stupid or <laughs> this doesn't work for me, please tell me like yeah, I've totally. read a few books. Yeah. I so have others I can give let you. Me, I have other skills. So if this doesn't work, yeah. please tell me. And I have had clients, I give them permission to make this a collaborative process. And I've had clients going like, I, again, we can read their body language a lot. So I'll sometimes say, Hey, try this. And they're like, okay. And yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, you don't want to try that. Do you? And they're like, not really. I'm like, yeah. then say something. Yeah, totally. Like, and I don't think they understand so that it. That's their experience. Like therapy is one-on-one and yes, we have a lot of skills, but it's their experience. Yeah. Occasionally I'll be like, yeah, I know you don't want to do this, do it anyway. Yeah. But that's for like a very specific reason, you know, but a lot of times when we're just like experimenting, trying out skills, I'm like, try it, see if you like it. If you don't come back and tell me. And I have had people go, this is stupid. And like, I can, I can read their face and I'm like, I know you think I'm nuts right now, but just, just go with it. (laughs) Trust me. I agree hundred percent with that. But oh gosh, I sometimes, I mean, therapy is so fun. It is just, it is hard. It is. I I saw a quote the other day that said, if therapy isn't hard, you're not doing therapy. I love (laughs) that. Oh my gosh. We need that plastered like on our front door. Yeah. If it's not hard, then you're not doing therapy. Expect it to be challenging. We're trying to rewire the brain here. It's going to take a minute. Yeah. So, and, and us as clinicians, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. We need to focus on taking care of ourselves so that we can be there for everybody. And, um, it's so rewarding too. It's so cool to see that healing process happen, to see the joy come back. It's so cool. last thing to wrap it up on a lighter note and I didn't tell you I was going to do this because I didn't want you to prepare um so I'm going to rapid fire I have seven questions I'm going to rapid fire them and I just want you to answer a lot of them are just like fun so don't be stressed but they're like this is nothing there's one that I'm it's not technically a rapid fire but I'm really interested in Cass's brain like who you're going to pick for this okay so rapid fire we ready comfortable with discomfort yes (laughs) there you go okay rapid fire Favorite color? Purple. Drink of choice? <laughs> um, <laughs> my ice cold energy drinks. Sam Bazan is my Interesting. favorite right now. That wasn't going to be the one I picked for you. <laughs> That's what I got going right here. My caffeine is an ice cold energy drink. Okay. Go-to karaoke song? Um, Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams are made of these. Oh, I didn't. Okay. I love that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> biggest fear. That's hard. I don't have a lot of fears. I'm not afraid of a lot of, no. Okay. Like heights, I have this weird, dark okay. monsters. I have this weird phobia. <laughs> You're going to okay. laugh. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I'm afraid of big, wide open spaces. It causes me Ooh, anxiety. I didn't know that. Okay. No, not, not a lot. Like you've seen me. I'm very transparent. I'm not a lot scares me. I'm, I'm like, I don't like, I don't feel vulnerable a lot. Like I'm just, I'm transparent. I'm me. I'm 
yeah. because of this, I approach life with curiosity. It has made me a little bit fearless, um, which can be dangerous at times, but ever since I was a kid though, like I'm afraid of wide open spaces, especially when I'm high up. So it's not that I'm afraid of heights. Like I'm not afraid of falling. Okay. I'm afraid of getting sucked out into the big open void of nothingness, nothingness. So like, like I can feel the pull of the universe. So like, are we talking and, like a big, wide open, empty field or like standing in a gymnasium? It depends. Like even okay. this conversation is causing me anxiety. <laughs> like picturing in your when face. I was I younger, <laughs> when I was younger, I wouldn't even, it's like the opposite of claustrophobia. Yeah. There, it's, it's actually called acroagoraphobia because it's like this combination of like being out and being in heights. Um, but it like, I wouldn't even want to sit on the aisle seat at a movie theater. Cause it was like, there was too much space around me. I like to feel like I'm hugged and secure I love and, it. but it's worse when I'm high in the air, I'm not afraid of falling. I'm afraid of like getting sucked up into the nothingness, Okay, but it's the pull is so strong. I have to tell you this, you guys, you're going to think <laughs> <laughs> I love okay, you're it. seeing the human, you're seeing such the human side of me. One time I was driving through Zion's and there's a lot of like the switchbacks on the roads, yep. right? So you get to the top of the switchback and there is just sky. I'm like, that's so beautiful. But because of my anxiety and I feel like it pulling me into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I might accidentally like just drive the car off the cliff because my brain is thinking I'm being pulled in a certain direction. Oh so like, my God. I had to pull over and let the other person drive. Cause I was like, I can't do this. We're going oh to drive off a cliff here. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. That's also why I picked this question though, because I was like, this is interesting. Cause I actually couldn't like guess one for you, but I was like, I know no. it's going to be something so random and something unexpected. <laughs> so. Yeah. Cause honestly, like, I'm not afraid of dark. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of spiders. Like I like I will name the spiders in my office and just let them live there with me. I know you're like, like you're I, like, like creepy gooey one that I like all of your likes and loves and passions are like all of my fears. Yes, for sure. But yeah, so I'm, I'm honestly not afraid of a lot. Like I'm not even afraid of people making fun of me or anything yeah. because I'm just like, you know what? I am not everybody's cup of tea. I'm okay with that. Radical That's acceptance, man. That's also why I think you're just such a badass. I mean, at least once a week, one of you looks at me with such a confused face and says, you're weird. Like it happens at least once a week. And I just like, yep. Okay. Bye. Okay, well, what's funny, okay, so the next question, the rapid fire question is what we, what's the weirdest trait that you think you have? <laughs> There's so many. I know this also okay. I was for a reason. I'm like, she's going to have to pick one. <laughs> my my creepy toys I guess oh I so, think that one that was when I guessed more <laughs> okay so um the I I don't know I like things that are a little weird that most people would be like what are you doing I have a theory as to why I like it too I think I like to be seen and so when I like mm. unusual things I I get noticed you know that it's like a healthy coping mechanism yeah. <laughs> to be a little bit, a little bit strange, 
but I have, okay, so I'll give you two examples of my creepy things. I have this little skeleton that's like maybe a foot tall that's poseable and he dresses up for all the holidays and he like just sits on Instagram. He has his own Instagram. (laughs) It's called it's me Skelly. Um, but yeah, so I dress him up for all the holidays because it's just like kind of funny. Like who has a, who does this? Um, and then, so along those lines of, I, I just like things that are just like a little bit off, like not quite cute you know? And so what was it around Valentine's day? Valentine. I love Valentine's day. And I was at TJ Maxx and I saw this random doll that is like the, it, it's a poseable. How would you describe this doll? It, uh, like it's, a creepy Cupid. It's like yeah. an adult so, version of Cupid, but he had like a I don't want to be, say deformed Almost face, like a, but like a... It was like a Grinch grin. Like his, yeah. his face looked kind of yes. Grinchy. Yeah. But not green. But so there, there, apparently I learned that this is like a whole collector's item, but I just saw this doll and I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> and so I bought it and I had it in my office and it was kind of, I would move it around my office. So every time a client came in, it was like in a different spot. And they're like, what is going on? I actually had to hide it from two of my clients. Like they'd walk in and go, Oh no, 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 no. I do not want to look at that today. (laughs) So I'd have to like hide it out of their view. And so I thought this was funny. So then for St. Patrick's day, I found a similar one and I thought I'd share the joy. And so I started hiding around the whole office. And, and so we loved it. We've it was, all caught on to this now and love it. So it's a tradition that is just going to keep on going, but the best is like, we'd hide it in each other's offices. And so you'd sit down for session and go, Oh, there's a creepy doll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, I love and the it. clients, so the clients have started noticing that we do this too. So yeah, I have a little Easter bunny that has a creepy face that yeah. roams around the office now. And it was in the hall the other day and one of my clients walked by and she goes, mm, that's yours, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it is. So I love that's what job. you're saying that like our clients become a part of this family atmosphere that we create yeah. and, and, and it's through silly things. Yeah, Totally. Okay, last question. If you could invite any three people over for dinner at your house, who would those three people be? Well, my kids have to take up two of those spots. I just can't get enough of them. (laughs) (laughs) I thought for sure. I was like, she's going to have theories. She's going to have like a president. Like she's going to go totally philosophical or something on me. Oh, if we're going that route. Yeah, any three people to, in the world, dead or alive. Oh my gosh. Let's have the dog. I, mean, I know Lama. you love your kids, but come on, don't be boring, Cass. Let's let's branch <sighs> out here. <laughs> they are not boring. They're the coolest humans ever. They are. Um, okay, I would definitely want to sit with the Dalai Lama. I don't even expect Ooh. to have a conversation. Like, can I just sit there with you? Yeah. And so that would be one. Um I would choose Freud, (laughs) Um, not because Freud is my favorite um, with his ideas, but because he was the first and that's badass. Totally. Like everything we are is because somebody was brave enough to, to publish their ideas. And I think that's cool. 
and uh, I don't know. I, I kind of want to go with Buddha, with the Buddha, maybe just so many ideas, but really like any of the old, old philosophers, Plato, Socrates, like I that's more of an answer with... I was expecting. I was like, kids, come well, on. <laughs> I love can't... your kids. Okay. But... <laughs> but like, and I can't even narrow down philosophers because I love every philosophy idea out there. Like, I love it. Like I integrate all of the, all of these ideas and, and I am drawn to Buddhism as a philosophy, you know, because it does, it's a lot of this mindfulness, present moment, acceptance, impermanence. And so I like the idea of just like sitting with people that have similar ideas of a different view of this world. So I like, like, can we do brunch with all the philosophers? Yeah. I remember how this was I'll supposed to be rapid waffles. fire and you just sorry like, <laughs> I love it I don't have short answers ever I know I love it I would I will say selfishly I'm like man I like got most of those questions right karaoke song not yeah. so much drink a choice I didn't think about your energy drinks I went with wine <laughs> okay yeah that's a close second <laughs> But I don't have wine like every day. I'm having like these energy drinks every damn day. So keeps us alive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing this, taking the time out of your day. Um, I knew that we would just have so much fun and laugh halfway through this. Um, (laughs) I am going, if anyone wants more information on DBT or personality disorders, I am going to put some links in the description of this podcast. Um, and then also I do want to touch on our group. So if anyone living in Salt Lake city would like more information on DBT and would like to be part of a DBT group, um, Cass is Cass hosts them what every three months or so. And our next one is starting the first of May. Well, not the first, but the first week in May. The first week of May. Yeah, we do yeah. it for and eight I, weeks. And like, I love it. I think, well, and it's very this is our basic. What, third one. Yeah, I I don't even know. But yeah, <laughs> I start like an eight-week course with, with some very basic skills, um, stuff you can apply to your life right away. Um, I, I, there are so many skills available. So I just started with some of my favorites that I think are most applicable starting in the fall, like late August, early September, I I'm going to start doing an advanced group too, kind of like DBT Mm -hmm. episode two, you know, like let's, let's, we want people to do the the DBT intro class first. Absolutely. That's why I'm like, let's do first, And then you can do the advanced. Yes. Yes. Let's do basics first and then more of the advanced skills. So we're going to build off of everything that you learned in that first eight week course and learn more skills and, um, how to fine tune some of that. So I'm very excited for it. It's been, it's had a great response and people are loving it. People are using their skills. Um, I've had, uh, you guys, you know, the other therapists tell me that the trauma work is going better when they do the DBT group. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I will also post um, our website, which is healingfeatherstherapy.com, where people can go and find more information about the group. Also, they can call the office to set up if they want to attend. Um, And then any other information that we can think of, I will post in the description about DBT or personality disorders. So Cass, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for doing this. 
And anytime for those. that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for everyone for <laughs> listening and supporting me. And as always, you also can follow us on Instagram at worthy with Rhonda and we will all talk soon.